I'm Monica Melpass on Inside Story. Should we hike real estate taxes in Philadelphia or cut the budget to make ends meet? Inside Story is now. Good morning and welcome to Inside Story. I'm Monica Melpass. Let's meet our insiders this week. They are A.J. Raju, attorney and businessman. Welcome back. Glad to have you. Dom Giordano, radio talk show host. Always nice to see you, Dom. Thanks, Monica. Donna Gentile O'Donnell, nonprofit executive. Good morning to you, Good morning, Donna. Monica. And Christine Flowers, attorney and journalist. Great to see you again, Chris. Morning, Monica. Hope everybody's doing well. Let's talk about the city council budget hearings and several proposals by different council people about how to get all the line item budget items in there, how to not ask for more taxes, real estate in particular, among others, and also how to meet the needs. That's the real point here, schools and otherwise. If you ask uh, City Councilwoman Helen Jim, she would like to cut the 10-year tax abatement to have five years, half uh, of that. Councilman David O would like to save 110 to $171 million by maybe not doing the proposed spending that Jim Kinney, the mayor, is proposing. Councilman Alan Don wants a 15% reduction in the prison budget, which they are having fewer prisoners, so that might be part of the solution. And others, Councilwoman Cindy Bass said, Look, maybe have uh, cutting the prison budget as well over the next five years, but also other areas, not so much uh, totaling 100 and 670 million over five years, rather. Among those choices, do you like some better than others? Well, it's a sign of the apocalypse. Philadelphia City Council <laughs> wanting to cut taxes. And Helen Jim and I are about as far as we could put on the set apart, but I don't agree with this abatement stuff. I think she's sound on that. We have businesses that are good businesses here, they never get any benefit. That stuff is not good. I like Cindy Bass right. a, a bit in this. I'm a little bit skeptical of cutting too much on the prisons. This idea that we can cut there because maybe Larry Krasner is not going to be sending as many people there or something like that. That part is a little bit dangerous, but the cutting instinct is exactly what they ought to be doing. Already, though, the prison population is lower, so that would make sense to save that money and put it somewhere else, perhaps. I, I agree. Well, I, I agree with Dom. The I mean, this is just a complete cultural <laughs> shift that they're actually yeah. looking at the taxpayers of Philadelphia and saying, well, maybe right. we should give them a break and maybe we should, you know, take care of our own house. Um, I, I am a little troubled, though, about the idea that you know, one of the major cuts would be in the in the you know in the, in the prisons. Um, it really depends on where you're going to be cutting the money. And even though we do have a decreased prison population, I don't want to put the cart before the horse in the sense that well, we're going to we're going to decrease the monies in the hopes that we're going to have a decreasing prison population. It's kind of like, uh, it, it's wishful thinking. But I, I, do, I do agree that that is, uh, you know, that's wonderful. The tax abatement, absolutely. That hasn't helped anyone except for the, the investors. And I don't really think it's brought anything to the city of Philadelphia. So I agree with Dom, and I agree with <laughs> Helen Jim. And that, and oh, Americans do have. Right. Okay. The prisons, though, you do have to look at safety and security. Yeah. So right. if you cut too right. deeply, yeah. now yeah. you're risking yeah. Safety issues. So Helen Jim's proposal is going to save $8 million at most. That's Those are the numbers that the mayor's administration have come up with. Um, and while I think the mayor and his administration are open to conversations about how to rebalance, the other thing that, that he points out is that, you know, we passed a city charter change in which we said we're going to take responsibility for the schools. And there's no money coming from Harrisburg. Right. And there's no reason to believe anything very substantial is going to come out of Washington. So, um, and, and, I, and the mayor talks uh, passionately about this. He talks about the fact that poor kids that don't get an education are doomed to poverty for, the, for, for their lives. Because if they don't get a real chance, it's not happening. 
But second, the dynamic of the city is moving uh, toward the millennials, the, the 30 to 35-year-old folks who are loving living in the city and who need to be able to send their kids to good schools. And if you do an analysis of Philadelphia's real estate taxes compared to the suburban real estate taxes, where the schools are good, the suburban real estate taxes are considerably more. And per, I've had friends who lived in the suburbs who moved to the city because they had always planned to send their kids to private schools. So for them, moving to the city was actually a tax break on real estate right. versus uh, versus uh, living in the suburbs, paying a high real estate tax and, and having good schools. I think that it's going to be a really interesting dynamic to watch because this is a mayor who comes out of city council. He understands the dynamic of council. But AJ, and real estate taxes are a real area of sensitivity because they've gone up, mm -hmm. up, up. And you can't keep increasing real estate taxes, but the city does need money to cover its budget items, including schools. So wh where's the give? You can't have layoffs. Right, so can I approach it from a different angle? Um, you know, Abe Lincoln said, if you give me six years to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four years sharpening the ax, right? So what are we doing to sharpen the ax? Another stat, four companies, Apple, Facebook, Google, and um, Amazon, collectively have a market capitalization output greater than all countries in the world, with the exception of six countries, um, US, UK, China, um, uh, Japan, um, and Germany, right? So what are we doing to attract large companies that have good GDP output in this, uh, in this city? What are we doing to train the next generation of students? What are we doing to, work to for prepare? Those companies. What are we doing to sharpen the ax to make Philadelphia attractive? If you think this is what it is, then maybe it is the answer, but I haven't seen anything that attracts us and makes us a magnet. Don't you have to start in small doses, though? A bite here and a bite. You can't really uh, reinvent the wheel. Since how long? Since 1965, since we had white flight, industrial revolution right. ended, and since we had co companies go out. Look at a snapshot of what Philadelphia has been. And since 65 to now, the same debate has been going on in the city. Look at the Inquirer. Every, every, what is a small dose? Look at this. Br around the same time, from 65 till now, mm -hmm. look what happened in Silicon Valley, Seattle, Boston, Austin, uh, Houston. They're doing it differently. Is it possible? Is it possible that either we're not good at this or there's a conspiracy theory that a handful of us who have power wanted this way because it preserves our power and our status quo? Right. Interesting debate. All right. And meantime, we're talking about rebuild, which is a project all across the state of Pennsylvania to rebuild mm -hmm. uh, schools and uh, specifically in Philadelphia rec centers that are dilapidated. Uh, some of the money in the next couple of weeks could be approved. Uh, it's going to feature 45 percent minority and women owned businesses in the construction end of it. But they're having a tough time meeting that number because currently surveys show only about 31 percent are going to minorities and women owned in 500 current city projects. How do you get that number in the first place? Because many of the trades uh, specifically some of the unions are not giving the information about who their subs are. Well, right there is the answer, and I'm with City Council again, a shocker on this, and I think mm -hmm. these unions, we do know that a great number of them, these men usually, have moved outside the city. And that's an issue with this whole thing when they get this largesse toward the recreation center. And Jim Kenney is of both worlds. Right. He wants to be inclusive toward minorities, but he and Johnny Dock, that's at a higher level relationship. And it seems to me that the unions, to the point, Public Citizen this week showed that they're right. not even giving the number right. to make a uh, characterization about this, Monica. So how can you get to it when we don't know 
where we are. Can't even have it's not a non-starter. So Johnny Jock did sign a memo of understanding with the mayor saying that they would be on board with the 45% minority and women owned as part of the collective effort. Where's the proof though? There you well, go. Well, it's also micro, I'm sorry. It's mi micro as opposed to just the macro. When you're looking at first of all, they're below the 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 percentage of numbers that they should be at. But also, when you look at the types of jobs that are being given to minorities, as, as was indicated in the Philadelphia mm. Citizen, more of the unskilled, lower-wage jobs are going to the minority. So you have, within a minority, you have an even smaller slice and percentage of minorities getting the, the higher-skilled jobs, jobs which they're you know qualified for. So that's also a problem, and it doesn't, so even the lower percentage of minorities being included doesn't accurately reflect how many minorities are being employed in more advantageous positions. Right, That's and is problem. that a vicious circle of because they don't have the skills so they are given the non-skilled jobs at least as a job or is it because they're being kept out because they're minorities and women? That's the key so, question. So a couple of data points. I, I think it's useful to just do a little bit of a look back. Under John Street's administration, the building trades, uh, Pat Gillespie was the leader of the trades at the time. John Doherty was key in negotiating this. They took in 1,200 PHA housing residents into apprentice programs. Under, um, uh, and then in a subsequent uh, go around, they took an additional 600 out of Philadelphia public schools. And these are, these are minority-based programs. So, and were uh, those successful so, programs? Uh, there, there's, there, there was mixed success depending on which trade they apprenticed to. One of the big challenges uh, for some of these folks coming in is, was their, their ability to read. And so they were reading at fourth and fifth grade levels as, as, as high school graduates. So we're, so we're back to the circle of how do we make sure that our graduates are sufficiently uh, numerate and literate to be able to take the higher skill jobs. So, so I think that um, to the extent to which there is selective fact finding um, with respect to the building trades, I think that that's an, that's an important consideration. I also want to point out that um, in this first round of rebuild, the original plan, if it had been it had been fully executed, it's a six hundred million dollar plan, assuming that they had gotten all the money. They've got twenty million bucks, so we're really right now Just we're talking slice, about fifty to hundred jobs. Right. That's all. So. Um, and, and the one other point that I would make is the challenges associated uh, that have been verbalized by some members of council and the council president on the subject of the signing. You know, there's one signature and how do you bind everybody else? In every large organization, there is a lead signatory. In every major nonprofit, every university, every company, there's a lead signatory. And, and, those, and that sig signature represents... Right, so the, that's not and, uncommon. Yeah, it's very common. And... Um, th there were 30 people in the room when these things get negotiated. There so were 10 this has amendments. Been a 47 yeah. year long debate and lawsuit. It started in 1971 that not enough minorities and women are being included mm -hmm. in a city that has a majority of minority uh, inhabitants and many women. Uh, the federal lawsuit uh, did take over the running of it, and a court did agree with the minorities. They were being left out and started monitoring. And the best years were the late 80s. So we are 30 years out now from when the best inclusion was done. How do we get back to being more inclusive. Again, I'll go back to the original point. Who's at the table? The people at the table make the decisions. And then if you have folks who are taking just a small chip but not negotiating long term, well then you're going to see this 47 years later, same exact issue. You know, um, a um, handful gesture of let's do apprentice program but not really seeing any result right. 10 years later. By right. that time the old guys are gone, now we start the debate fresh again. This is Groundhog's Day. Right. Okay, we know what's going on. There are a handful of people. By the way, it's not a white or black issue. 
black leadership also needs to be held accountable. What are they doing to make sure that when they're at the table, they are making sure that it filters through to the neighborhoods. It's not a white or black issue. It's actually a, a status, economic class, issue. Yes, it's right. a class issue. Uh, our, yeah. our lower middle class folks don't have representation. That's right. Because there, is, there, is, there are no lobby groups for them. Right. Okay? And by the way, they're not active and they're not engaged. They don't have power. Monica, I see it a little bit differently. I think a lot of these jobs are kind of legacy jobs. You've had guys that have been in there forever. They're sons now. And they were white at one point, and they are now. And this is a coalition that's right. held together by that power base and then over here, the changing face of Philadelphia supporters of the Democrat Party. And I think Philadelphia City Council is correct in saying if we're going to have this public money toward this, then we are going to put down some rules that maybe you wouldn't see in the private sector. Can All I right. just say very quickly, can I reinforce, and I can't say it uh, over and over again, what AJ said is so important. It is about, I mean, to a certain extent, it's about demographics about you know mm -hmm. race and, and and gender but it's about money it's about economic opportunity it's about class and Philadelphia has always had a strong class divide and so I think that that's really that, key to the problem and on yes. top of that on top of that uh, and from a race standpoint there's a legacy well, it's an of an suppression with race. right and then be, so for example if you're a white family you have a home you give that to your kid. The kid starts off at a much higher plateau um, uh, than a Latino uh, mm -hmm. family or a black family, right? So it is about how you're starting the race al already 300 yards behind sure, every generation. Well, I think particularly inside the union, that was my point. That's right. where this so starts. These jobs are handed down. Sure, the granddad did and now the dad. That's it, exactly. That's right. why you can't get a home. You know, if you're of a certain so ethnicity, you, you can't. And that, right. So, you know, you're there are shackled there are at the beginning of the race. There are companies called blue, uh, the unicorns. These are VC-backed companies, not public, but they're a billion dollars or more. Okay, they're called unicorns. There are 134 unicorns in the United States. Of them, only 14 have women co-founders. Mm -hmm. Now you tell me what the vicious cycle would be about women in power. Oh, well, that's And globally, globally, the 239 unicorns, right. only 23. So it's not a local issue; it's a national. Well, so who's at the table? they will make the decision and you will suffer the consequences for generations. Right. All right, let's move on and talk about in Harrisburg. Uh, Democrats and Republicans might actually pass a budget and get along because it's budget <laughs> season and they need each other, right? So we, this would be nice if we could get this going on a roll. And Governor Tom Wolf's budget does feature more money for education, elder care, state police, and natural gas uh, severance fees. Democrats aren't saying that they're going to get all their wishes, but at least some of them say, hey, if you limit some of the spending, then you could actually get it all done. Do you believe it's going to happen? I think it's much more likely to happen this year than any other year. The you know the governor I think is well positioned to move the budget. I think there's uh, and it, what's really interesting to me is some of the other things that are connecting uh, the whole phenomena of changing voter registration so that we can have open primaries. So there's a new kind of. Um, uh, jive in Harrisburg about bipartisanship on that issue and I think it's actually laying down a foundation for more collegiality and opportunity to lock things down. I see that as insiders this whole thing you ought to vote in the primary that you're registered for the club Republican or Democrat so I think that premise is faulty but I think it's electoral politics right. they want to get this done they want to get out of Harrisburg and they want to go back and run I think they'll get it done. Okay we're gonna take a break inside story continues right after this stick around.
Welcome back to Inside Story. New Jersey has become the second state in the country to require a health care mandate. Governor Phil Murphy signed that into law after the federal government changed theirs. Now, it does show that New Jersey's on the move with uh, health care. 92% of residents, by the way, were insured in 2016, so this would mean even more people on the books. A good thing or a bad thing, do you think, ultimately, Chris? Um, a necessary thing. I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with the principle behind the mandate, except for the fact that you need that in order to make your universal health care work. Because if you don't, you're going to have, um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have people who are the most needy in that pool. And, and then the numbers don't add up for Exactly. The you right. need some kind of funding for it. Although I do have a problem telling anybody, you must insure yourself. It, it's just, it, I mean, it's a philosophical thing with me. Although I also have a problem with people going to the emergency room who aren't insured and basically saying, okay, state, take care of me. I because, have the flu, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. you have to do it. So it's, it's, it's a Hobson's choice. All right, let's talk about heroin camps in Kensington that the city did clear out at great expense. Uh, seven to eight million dollars it cost wow. to clear out a couple of these because you're also providing shelter now for a hundred mm -hmm. plus people who were living on the streets. Is it really a band-aid on the problem or is it a long-term solution? Because uh, about 110 literally did go to shelters. They requested shelter, so they were put into the system. But many others who had not gotten their name on the list in time are now signed up uh, hoping for a long-term residence situation and they're just waiting. So are they just being moved to another neighborhood? I think it's a starting point. I don't think it screams to me of giving up if you allow these encampments. And I got to say, this is a very difficult thing and I think the city has done a good job on this. As long as this doesn't lead to safe injection sites and the horrors of that, this is a, a first step toward doing it. And nothing's perfect here, but you just can't allow stuff like this to send a message that we've given up and this is what the new normal is. And the officials are saying it was a danger to some nearby schools and to the sure. neighborhood, just the safety and uh, you know, yeah. sanitary yeah, situation there. The fact that something like this would exist and, and is so high profile at this point, mm -hmm. just an acceptance of it and a tolerance of right. it on an ongoing basis makes a statement about the culture of Philadelphia, which I think the mayor was unwilling to uh, to relinquish that. Um, so they've cleaned out two of the four. Right. They've got two more to go. Of the 120 people that they moved out, they're actually in re rehab, not just temporary housing, but actual rehab. So that that's actually a pretty big step forward given the opioid crisis sure. and the circumstances that, that mm. these folks have found themselves I mean, they in. need everything from really just an ID to get started doing yeah. anything right. and then get a job. And then, yeah. you know, one thing leads mm -hmm. to the next. So yeah. it is the first yeah. step. All right, let's talk about Starbucks. Last week closed for an afternoon uh, nationwide, 8,000 locations. That's 175,000 employees who were taken out of the work line, if you will, and asked to be retrained. Do you think it was just a PR uh, coup for Starbucks to try to get people to come back and fix a brand that was very heavily damaged by an incident in Philadelphia several weeks ago, or did it make some inroads and change some people's minds, AJ? Well, I, I think even if it is a PR, it's a good thing. It's a first step in a long journey of reconciliation, understanding, education. Um, look, we in our society, we now have created these online communities which have become the new ghettos of grievances where we identify with our tribe and attack the other. It's no longer about social justice. It's really about social vengeance. So let them at least find some reconciliation before you attack and kill them. It's a first step in a long journey that will take a long time. I mean, it's a dirty ocean of bias, explicit and implicit, institutional and local. It'll take a long time. It can't just be one bucket of chlorine that cleans that polluted ocean of hatred and bigotry. And that when new employees come on board, should it be required for all new employees as Absolutely. well? Keep it going down the That's road? Just, 
among the alphabets, that's just A. And then you have B to Z that you still have to do. That it goes from top. You have to, one, take care of the dog whistle, the explicit bias. And then there are the, uh, the, the implicit bias, which is the dog whistle. And, but there are also explicit whistle-whistle biases that go on right now. If you are dressed dish, uh, you know, not in the best way, you walk into a coffee shop, you get treated differently than somebody who walks in with a suit. If you're one color versus the other, you get treated differently. Those are the whistle. And then there are the implicit bias that, that people with, eye, you know, with an eye, each other, that what they do, that are hidden biases. Starbucks is taking a first step in a long journey, which by the way, all of us as a teaching moment should be doing, in, in addressing our own implicit as well as our explicit biases and, and Monica, bigotry. Can I say something very sure. quickly about that? And what, I like what AJ said. For, we also have to understand how our actions are viewed by other individuals. The other day I was at Newark Penn Station, train station, sitting down, had my handbag next to me. I was going into my handbag to get something. I pulled the handbag close to me. No thought of anything in my mind. An elderly African-American gentleman was sitting next to me. He looked at me and he said, I wasn't going to take anything from you. And that broke my heart because there was no sense in my mind that I was moving my bag over because of that. But because of his past experience, he thought that that's what I was doing. So we also have to be conditioned as people who may not have suffered from that implicit bias to know what our actions, what kind of impact they're going to have on other people. So if I could just add one sure. thing to the Starbucks conversation. I think that, um, I think that what, what the Starbucks leadership did was incredibly important. And to AJ's point, it's, it's one step in, in a whole bunch of steps. Um, I think one of the things we have to grapple with, though, is that there are recalcitrant racists in this country that do not want to be rehabilitated. We can only hope, and, and I, there's, I have friends in the Deep South in Alabama who talk to me about their experiences in the Civil Rights Movement and how they had to, from the power of the pulpit, move people away from the worst racist tendencies to their better angels. So that's what we have to hope for, that some of these people can be moved. All right. We're going to have a break and then have Inside Stories when we come right back. Stick around. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Time for Inside Stories of the Week, and let's start with Don. My Inside Story is Inside Inside Story. Liz Priate of our own Inside yes. Story was elected this week overwhelmingly out of Montgomery County to be the Republican chair. Montgomery County used to be solidly Republican because it means good government. Liz is going to take us back to that. All right, Donna. So Representative Mustio, who is retiring from Allegheny County, had introduced on his way out the door a bill to prevent the soda tax in Philadelphia. What's up with that? Mm, interesting. Christine. I hate to be a downer, Monica, but I'm depressed with all of the sadness and all of the dehumanization that's going around with Roseanne Barr, with Samantha B, with what happened with the Irish approving abortion rights in Ireland, and, and just in general with this idea that people are lesser than, including separating children from their parents at the border. I, I, you know, I, I, I need to feel better. AJ. So my foundation is going to be hosting a delegation of business leaders from Europe and Asia uh, in September. Their primary interest in about Philadelphia, the innovation happening around Penn Medicine, Jefferson, and all of our, uh, all of our medical innovation. We really are the Silicon Valley of medical innovation and, and, uh, and technology. And obviously Donna and others at Jefferson get a great uh, thanks from uh, all Donna. of us. Yeah. Yay. All righty, that's Inside Story for this week. Thanks, you, thanks to you for watching. We appreciate that. Thanks to our panelists for being here. Hope you have Thank a you. great week ahead. We'll see you right back here next Sunday morning.